Welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson. I'm here to encourage you in your walk with God. Thank you for joining in. Today's podcast is sponsored by Cunningham Financial Group. John Cunningham is a friend of mine and a brother in Christ, and he can help you with financial decisions and future planning. He's been a big help to me and my family, and I commend him to you. You can reach him at 205-913-1720. I am so thankful you're here, so let's get started. Hey, welcome back. I'd like to begin by wishing you a happy new year. I pray peace and grace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I certainly hope you are optimistic heading into this new year. You are probably praying for a lot of the same things that I am. We're praying for a year of health for ourselves and for people that we love. We want safety and protection. We pray for some appropriate and manageable amount of prosperity. Maybe it's a new job or a better place to live. And let me just go on record as saying, I hope that you get all of that. I hope that everything under the sun for you goes better this year in your life, with relationships, and in every possible way than it's ever gone before. And I genuinely hope that some of the things that have been taught on this program at the end of last year have made all of those things more accessible to you than they would have been. But there is something that I need you to hear early in 2023 and here at the very beginning of Season 5 of the ESM program. That may not be the way this year works out for you. It's certainly possible, but when you look back at 2022, there were definitely some curveballs that none of us saw coming and a high likelihood of unforeseen challenges in the coming days and months. In the midst of all of that and out in front of it, I want to tell you about two absolutes. There is not a single thing that can happen on earth, around you, or to you this year that can take away the value and reality of these two things. Number one, the promises of God in Jesus are true. We need to understand there are lots of things we pray for that are not God's promises. I may be healthy this year, or I may be sick. I may lose no one, or I may lose more than one. My investments may double, or they may disappear altogether. None of those are guaranteed, not one of them. God has not promised me or fellow believers all of those things. I should note, it ought to make you very grateful if you are healthy, and you do have loved ones still in your life, and people are treating you kindly, and you have a nice place to sleep and a good job. Because God did not promise them, you just so happen to be blessed by him in that way. But no matter what happens with any of those things, life is always as bright as the promises of God. Here are a couple to think about. The Lord has promised that those who live by faith in Jesus Christ will always be forgiven of their sins when they appeal to him. Spiritually speaking, in the grace of Jesus Christ, you get a fresh start each and every time you appeal to God for it, you are promised cleansing and hope by his power, not yours. It is a promise of God through the resurrected Jesus that all of us who live out our lives by faith will be united with him upon his return and live forever in heaven. 
no unfortunate illness or accident, no political party or prying preacher can take that away from you. So that first thing is a pretty big deal. Pray for all of the rest. Be incredibly grateful. But don't let the inevitable decay and uncertainty of a world wrapped in sin diminish in any way your faith in God who keeps his promises. Okay, number two, and more specific to our content today, you have total control of your attitude. You may not control anything else, like literally nothing else sometimes, but you do have control of that. You may not be able to control what's happening in your body physically, what's happening in the world around you, with the people around you, but you most absolutely, by the power of God, can control the way that you choose to interact with all of those things. In fact, I would argue to start this year that time invested in setting your attitude before interactions, adapting the kind of spirit that will internally make adjustments that fit the needs of any conversation has the potential to change everything. In fact, more than just being something that you can control, in the likeness of Jesus, your attitude is something that you must control. And I will argue to you early on that incremental attitude changes can and will have exponential results as you interact with the world around you. I have a little bit of imagery I want to give you today, but I think we should first start by focusing in on Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, have this attitude in yourself, which was first found in Jesus. Maybe you remember the rest of that text, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we have taught that many times to say that Jesus went from a high place to a low place for our benefit, and having an attitude of humility is about putting yourself in the lower place. And those are good points to make. But I want you to think of it in a bit of a different way. Jesus was in heaven where he deserved to be. If he had interacted with you and me at the judgment, from his place of glory unto our place of sin, we would be incinerated by the impact. So in order to prevent that from happening, Jesus altered himself. He changed his position for our benefit. Firstly, he did so on the inside. It said, I do not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He altered mentally this concept that he deserved to stay in heaven. And then he literally and actually altered his life so that he could interact with us in a way that made fellowship possible, in a way that would bring hope to us and glory to his Father in heaven. With those incredible goals in mind, he was able to alter his place unto servitude and even to death on a cross. I want you to begin thinking about setting your attitude in that same kind of way. It is the internal first decision to alter your approach, your position, your wording in such a way that when you interact with others, because of the changes you made, that interaction has a chance to be hopeful and productive and to glorify God. When you think of it in that way, it doesn't matter who the other person is or how they have behaved 
or the circumstance in front of you and how unfair it seems. This is about your ability and willingness to course correct to make that work. And lest you ask me, Chris, what if it's their fault? What if they have the attitude problem? What if what is happening to me shouldn't be happening to me? Let me remind you that Jesus was in the right. By all right, he should have just stayed in heaven and we should have fixed everything. But he knew that we couldn't fix everything. And so he was willing to make the changes and the sacrifice for everyone else's benefit, including his own. Because the next three verses talked about how God exalted him to his right hand because of his humility. The specific application of that text is the way God's people interact with each other. The verses right before it say, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Please note again, most of the good stuff happens in your mind. Humility of mind with regard to one another. You make those corrections and decisions and changes before the conversation even begins. You are determined to bring about the best outcome by every ounce of what is within your power to the benefit of yourself and others and to God's glory. Practically speaking, this is about prayer and setting your mind in the right place before you interact with pretty much anyone, any person or place or thing wherein an undisciplined approach by you or your expectation that everyone else make the appropriate changes for this to work is just going to lead to the same mess it always does. Just to use places, for instance, this is about internal decision-making before you open the front door of the church building, before you open the garage door entering your home, before you step into your workplace or where you go to school. Have you already made adjustments to bring about a better outcome? And if things are sideways in there, if someone else has had a bad day, if others are the ones that need to change, will you be the one to do it to help things work out? Or are you happy with just another bad experience so long as you can blame someone else? This reminds me of the Apostle Paul who always sought to live with the humility of Jesus and how he became all things to all men. When he was with the Jews, there was a certain way that he would behave. When he was with Gentiles, there were certain things he would and would not talk about. When he was with the weak, he would make adjustments to himself. And he says why? So that he can save some. The mission here is success. It's an improved relationship. It's someone else putting their focus on Jesus, even when circumstances are dire or hard. You know he wasn't talking about being with sinners and just sinning so that you can fit in. But it was about the man in the room, probably most in the right, making the most significant adjustments, taking responsibility for the impact of his attitude in shaping how pretty much everything turns out. I would love for you to be thinking about that all throughout the week and year, and so I'd like to share a piece of imagery with you that has been of great benefit to me. About 20 years ago, I started training to get my pilot's license. I was with a rather cantankerous older gentleman who sat next to me in a two-seater Cessna 150. One of the first instruments he taught me to read was called an attitude indicator, which is like so on the nose, you'd think I must have made that up for this episode, but I didn't. 
You've probably seen one of these before, and I will make it the thumbnail on the episode so you can take a peek. So there's this circle on the screen, and across the front of it is a metal bar that represents the airplane. It, as a pilot, represents you. Now, that metal bar is set in the aircraft. So far as you can tell in the cockpit, it's always in the perfect position. Behind it is one of those gyroscopes with a line right through the middle. It is the horizon in front of you. The top is blue and the bottom is brown to represent the earth and sky. Your attitude, by definition, is the relationship between you and the horizon in front of you. And while it's not always important that those two lines match up, for instance, when you're turning the aircraft, there is this inevitable point where the aircraft and the horizon will interact with each other. We like to call that a landing. At that point, the two must be perfectly matched or you crash. And a good pilot will set that in place well before he gets to the runway. What I find interesting about that gyroscope is if you are not oriented properly to the horizon, the airplane looks like it's just fine. It's a metal bar. It looks like the horizon behind you is off-axis. That's often how we see our attitudes. We're set correctly. It's the world in front of us that's out of whack. And if you're in an aircraft and you decide to double down on that, I think I am fine. It's the Earth that's 40 degrees off-tilt, and you refuse to make adjustments because everything looks great from where you are. When you and the horizon in front of you interact with one another, something far less pleasant than a landing will take place. You're going to crash. And I kind of feel like people live that way. They always see themselves as set correctly. Everybody else is set wrong. And while there may be some truth to that, unless you can make adjustments to align the situation, there's a good chance that you're the one that's going to crash. Or worse yet, you may cause a lot of damage to other people when you could have easily and humbly made minimal adjustments. Now, I hope you're ready to start working on this. And you might say, Chris, we need a phone call. I need to walk you through some of the things that are going on in my life, and we need to look at the right way to approach it. And while I'm entirely open to do that, I think it kind of misses the point, doesn't it? The point is the real work happens inside of you, which, as I said in the intro, is one of those absolutes in life. You get to choose your attitude, which in aerospace engineering is defined as where you are with relation to where you ought to be. When a spaceship is re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, it can complain to Houston that the Earth isn't where it ought to be. And even if that's correct, if you want to enter safely, you're going to have to decide where am I with respect to where I need to be. Let me give you one short verse in Philippians chapter 2 that I know can help. Verse 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, that may sound obvious, but there's actually some interesting truths behind those two words. You might say, well, clearly, when I get into a situation, I shouldn't start grumbling about it or disputing with everyone around me. But these words have interesting definitions. The word grumbling in that text, the original word, means to murmur or mutter or secret debate not openly avowed. In other words, the grumbling is happening inside of you long before you're in the situation. It is already accomplished in your heart or attitude before anybody else experiences it in words. Interestingly enough, the word disputing has a very similar definition. The thinking of a man deliberating within himself. Inward reasoning. 
questioning things. It's translated opinions and reasonings and thoughts in the New Testament. So everyone knows you shouldn't enter into your home tonight or your workplace or the church building and enter into a dispute. But the truth is you may be disoriented into a place of disputing in your heart before you even get there. What the text is ultimately saying is working out your own salvation in honor of God means preparing to do all things without grumbling and disputing because you do not allow muttering or secret negativity or questioning motives to seed themselves within you before an interaction. I know you'll have five reasons why you're justified in doing so and why everybody else needs to change, but you are still going to crash. Instead, of course, we are to be seated with the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. But that's the kind of stuff you work on ahead of time. Those are the kinds of things you pray about and read about and think about to align yourself for the good of others and the glory of God. As we conclude, let me share one story from my early flying days to prove that you need to be ready to make adjustments real time because life and 2023 and anything around you can become a flock of birds out of nowhere. So I was up doing my very first solo. They'd been training me for seven hours, and they said, get in the plane, fly in a circle, and land. So I got that attitude indicator set way before I got to the runway. I had everything right on the money. And then I noticed some birds coming from my right. I didn't know what to do. I had everything set just right, and I didn't want to mess that up. So I held my perfect attitude. Well, so did the birds, and one of them struck the plane. Fortunately, in this case, there was no damage to me or the aircraft, but quite often, more lives are in jeopardy from something like that than just a bird. So I land the plane, I go in the building, and I tell that story, and I'm so proud of myself that I didn't let anything get in the way. And that grumpy old man who trained me and owned that aircraft chewed me out. He said, look, I know you had it all set, but sometimes you have to make adjustments. Just because it's set correctly doesn't mean you won't have to change it if the situation demands it. Man, that was over 20 years ago, and I can tell you those were some profound words from an old pilot. You know, situations arise like that almost every day, and if you have a heart of humility, you will make adjustments, and those incremental changes will have an exponential impact. But as a standard way of approaching your life, your day, your home, and everywhere that you go, Make a good result possible. Create a situation that is good for others and glorifies God by first and well beforehand setting your attitude. Thank you so much for joining in today. If you enjoyed this program, consider sharing it with your family and your friends. And if you're just in search of deeper Bible study or you want to share the message of Jesus with the children in your life, remember to go to creationtorevelation.com. This wonderful company run by Christians provides beautiful illustrations of scripture from beginning to end, putting the spotlight on Jesus. And remember this, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more. <laughs>